Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast, DV Talk. Today we're going to be discussing all of the content outside of the traditional media that's come out of the uh, stay-at-home environment we find ourselves in. Then you're going to hear part of my conversation with Elizabeth Moss, the Emmy winner from the Hulu show, The Handmaid's Tale, and also on uh, big screens and small uh, recently in The Invisible Man. Well, I mean, when you talk about big screens, it feels like you're talking about an era of many, many decades ago, even though we're only looking at probably about seven weeks. You know, right now, the thing... It does. It feels like it. And the thing that's really bringing it home to me, and I don't mean that as a pun, is as a TV critic, but also as a human being, is what we're seeing on TV. And now we've been talking a lot about this over the past couple of weeks as we've been back this season for TV Talk. And, you know, sure, we're doing different stuff because the world is different right now. But one of the things we're seeing a lot, and especially this past weekend, we saw these virtual graduation commencements. Now, one of the things that really kicked them off, of course, is former President Barack Obama did two of them on uh, Saturday, May 16th. He did one for historically black colleges and universities, and then he did another one that was basically for everyone who's graduating from high school this year who isn't going to get to have an in-person graduation. It was star-studded with LeBron James, the Jonas Brothers. Everyone was on it. President Obama made sure, without ever naming Donald Trump, to take some pretty hard swipes at him. You know, and that story that I wrote about that got picked up everywhere. But one of the things that people talked the most about was this virtual world. And what is this virtual world? And I wanted to ask you, Pete, because there's been lots of people doing lots of different stuff like this. Some of which we talked about, some of which we haven't. Do you think this counts as genuine TV content, or is this just place filler? I think it's place filler, uh, definitely. It's a way to... to keep the lights on as it were and uh, but what i do think it's leading into a new way of thinking about using uh, television and all all of this uh, kind of mediums uh, that are colliding now between the internet and uh, regular tv broadcast tv the graduation ceremony at least one of them that you mentioned was on every network every cable station. I mean, it's amazing. It was sort of like, you know, that Lady Gaga thing where they're able to, uh, you know, like Lionel Richie sang last night on the American uh, Idol finale, we are the world. We're bringing that together here through this. And it's an interesting new use of the medium, I think, virtually. But does it count as content? Well, everything's content by the definition of the word, but not traditional. Well, of course. I mean, it's interesting. You're talking about all these networks doing, doing you know, things like the, uh, the Graduate Together and, and the Lady Gaga, one, one World Concert, Global Citizen. But, you know, there was one network owned by the Murdochs, Fox and Fox Sports, which went back to sports this weekend, you know, this past weekend. On, on Sunday, uh, on, on May, tw- May 17th, Fox had NASCAR's The Real Heroes 400 from Darlington Raceway, and that got over 6.3 million viewers. Now, not the best numbers NASCAR's ever got, but the best it's had in almost two years, and except for Daytona. And then, of course, on May 16th, Fox had German soccer with the Bundesliga, which, again, got the best German soccer ratings any American network has ever had. Now, clearly, German soccer is not exactly blowing the roof off the stadium for American networks, but it's still a show uh, in, of the great appetite that people have for live sports. And I think that is something people are dying for right now. The what you saw this past weekend, you saw the finale of the Michael Jordan ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. And you can tell people are like, give us more. Give us The Last Dance, the after show. <laughs> you know what I love? 
I love watching local news and seeing this them get to sports and watching how these guys uh, and women uh, sportscasters drag it out as much as they can to have their section like nothing's ever happened. They're going to do sports when there hasn't been any sports. And, and it's often about when there's going to be sports and nobody can predict anything. And you mentioned Last Dance, uh, you know, which I've been doing uh, – uh, a lot of virtual interviews with uh, celebrities and things, and they keep bringing that up and how great it is and all of that. I think that came along, boy, at just the right time for sports fans. And well, you know, I mean, ES ESPN did move it up. It was supposed yeah. to play. It was supposed to play later this year. They moved it up. The timing was perfect. But you, you've seen the flip side. You know, in South Korea, not something I bring up very often on TV Dog, but in South Korea, they had soccer. Um, this past weekend, and they're now apologizing because they had no one in the stands. They were going to have these uh, these sort of mannequins that people were going to have. Well, now people are getting upset because the mannequins it seemed they used were actually sex dolls that they put outfits on. So this this is blown up in their face. Over here, a, a number of a number of elites. I mean, there's some real money involved in this. You know, networks and broadcasters spend billions when you add it all up on 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 sports. And come the beginning of July, there's kind of a written into the contract. There are some dates of basically it's like, well, you didn't fulfill the contract. I think it's around July 12th or something. And there could be asking back for money. I think more than likely they're going to try to renegotiate something and figure it out. But that's why you're feeling this pressure from the NBA or the NFL, you know, earlier in, earlier in May, release an actual schedule saying that they really are going to start in September. And they really are going to have all these games. So, you know, I, I have to say, I think they're, I think they're they're picking at the wrong the wrong end of the zone if they really think that's going to happen. Well, the interesting thing happened just today. Just today, one of well, not just let me stop that again. Just earlier this week, one of the NBA players actually came out and made a very interesting point. Uh, I think it was Larry Nance Jr. the Cleveland Cavaliers. He talked about look with all the pressure you're putting us under to put these games back together or start something and get them back on TV. What about all the players? And he was referring to himself slightly because he has Crohn's disease who have unseen ailments that can put them in a position of being even more susceptible to something like coronavirus. And that's something the league isn't really talking about or dealing with at this point. No, because the league, particularly uh, NBA, was so hit early on with uh, all these cases and things that it became a little Petri dish as we as we see there. You know, it's interesting. I wrote a story about the um, you mentioned the football season and how they announced this like it's business as usual and all of that. But that very same day before that, because I knew they were announcing it. I talked about the effect on the Oscars, of all things, another big live television event that is scheduled for February 28th. And that happens to be the day in the contingency plan of the NFL to play the Super Bowl. Should they be delayed yeah. up to five weeks? It hits the same day. And I know from talking to the Academy, they're obviously very aware of this. And uh, you're probably going to see a big effect on that Oscar date. Um, if anything goes wrong with football or appears to go oh, wrong. Oh, totally. I'm totally. And, and I think I, I think even before that, you know, the, the so-called digital upfronts are occurring as, as we speak. And all the networks, some of them did it last week, some of them are doing this week. You know, they're putting out these seasons. Now, Fox has actually put out a full schedule. The CW has grabbed shows like DC Stargirl from DC's Universe and Swamp Thing, which was on DC Universe, that streaming service, and they've thrown those on and a bunch of others. 
But, you know, everyone is going to have to sit tight and see, are you really going to be able to put shows on? Are you really going to be able to have this? And what do you have when you have a fall TV season that has no NFL, um, has no Premier League soccer over on the cablers on the weekend, has no new shows coming along? You're going to have a lot of reality TV and a lot of what I'm now calling repurposed TV, like LA's Finest coming over from Spectrum and, and being on Fox and what have you. That will last for a while, but there is an end point here. There's, a, there's an event horizon, as you said, literally, the Super Bowl and the Oscar clash, that could be where this really all starts to see the wheels come off. Oh, totally. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating. It's happening in every business in the music industry with the benefit concerts that we're seeing on television now, you know, because the music business has shut down, too. So they're sitting in their house wanting to sing a song for us. I don't know how effective that is. I'm getting kind of sick of it. You know, it, it's been used over and over and over again as a way to do this kind of programming. And everybody's latching onto the word benefit here uh, in doing that. But here's what I think is interesting. Watching Disney play plus do what they did in bringing Hamilton, a $75 million acquisition, one a very expensive property that they were going to release in theaters, and, and sending it right to Disney Plus as a uh, shot across the bow against uh, Netflix, in my opinion here, of, of gaining more subscribers and using this time. And that really tells you where their head's at. Uh, right now. Well, I, yeah, but it, but it also tells you where Disney's bottom line is. I mean, Beyond The Mandalorian, Disney Plus never really had a breakout show. They have, they've had had some new shows, but, you know, there was The Mandalorian, and then there was this kind of idea that then the Marvel wave was going to come. Scarlet and Scarlet and, uh, Scarlet Witch and, and Vision, and, um, uh, the kind of Captain America spinoffs and all these other ones. They've all either been, been hit the pause button or just are not going to be finished in time at all because of the coronavirus production halts. So Disney are desperate for new content. Disney Plus is losing its luster. Yes, if you have children, there's the entire history, basically, of, of, of animation and, and, and children's popular culture on there. But for new shows, after Mandalorian, yeah, they have this Mandalorian documentary series, which is, okay, mainly a trivial pursuit um, uh, breeding ground, in my opinion. There's nothing new there. They need to do something. Netflix still are in this great position. And to some degree, Hulu, Disney owns Hulu, where they still have a bench to draw from. That is going to go on for several months in the case of Netflix. Some of these other streamers, like these networks, just don't have that advantage. Right. You know, it's interesting to see uh, uh, in the case of Disney, there are few new products out there. I mean, some of them are great. And people are looking at Togo is a terrific movie that went straight there. And I really liked it. It's going to be part of our contenders event. Um, but, you know, uh, Artemis Fowl, the big Ken Branagh movie that was supposed to be in theaters in August is now debuting uh, instead on Disney Plus because they are looking for that that new material. And I noticed with Netflix, it's still endless. It's just a, it's a bunch of stuff that goes out there on Netflix and you don't know how to choose the good from the bad and the ugly. And I don't know what. Well, that's what, that's why you have my TV reviews, my friend. And I will say, I mean, what, what I will say, you know, I have done far less of the show you have to watch series over the, over this Corona stay at home period. And people wrote to me and asked me about it. And I said, well, here's the thing is, you know, you're at home, breaking down what show you have the time to watch right now is sort of like the Quibi premise of you're on the go. You're not. You have lots of time to watch lots of things. So I've been doing much more in-depth reviews of individual shows. 
But we do see some weeks, and there are many of them happening. And, of course, HBO Max is about to come on. And I'll tell you, HBO Max has this Elmo talk show, and Elmo pretty good at a talk show, after all. But a lot, of, a lot of what you're seeing with Netflix especially is I think there's a lot of, I wouldn't say repurposing, because that's clearly not the game they're playing, but they're moving stuff around, like the, Je- the Jeffrey Epstein, um, there's a Jeffrey Epstein four-part series now coming. Will that be the new Tiger King, or will that just be something that will just throw you out on all levels? Don't know, but it's something that they've got out there. They've got stock, they've got bench that they can pull out and move around. That is the great advantage that streamers have. They made all this stuff ahead of time, and now they can bring it. Amazon is bringing season two of Hannah, and they've got many more. Also, you're going to see things like this weekend. You're going to see the fourth and maybe final in, in the uh, Steve Coogan trip franchise with the trip to Greece, which is going to be available on VOD and all the platforms to rent as of, as of uh, well, tomorrow, actually. Yeah, so I, I, that, yeah. Kind of, that kind of market is still there for new things. I'm kind of feeling zoomed out, and I'm kind of feeling a little bit of this, um, this ad hoc TV has lost its luster and lost its novelty. And if there's any part of this that I think a lot of us want to go back to, life has definitely changed under a coronavirus world and coronavirus America, and things are going to be very different. Well, the one thing you mentioned, you mentioned um, Trip to Greece, which I've seen, uh, and I really like, I like all four of those uh, films. Uh, they, it actually comes out of a BBC episodic series that they put together, and, that, and they release it as a feature film, and that was meant for theaters. But that's like going on a vacation. And that's what people want right now. The wrong Missy on Netflix uh, that just started with David Spade uh, is not yeah. a movie that I'd normally be jumping up and down about. No, no, Pete, Pete Hammond, I can tell you any movie that starts with the words featuring David Spade, I do not see Pete Hammond anywhere near that. Well, you know what? I laughed through the whole thing. I just wanted to get I did too. I thought, I, I, I thought it was great. To me, it was like, it was like, you know, Adam Sandler has this huge deal with Netflix, and to me, it felt like a, it felt like an Adam Sandler kind of like uh, entree in a way. You know, it was just yeah. it was really funny. And and I have to give David you know, to, to go into a mini movie review, and I know I know that you'll do it too. Is I was really impressed how he played the straight icky guy, and he really played it well. That's what I did in my review. And, uh, you know, I said it's it's a good move for him. It's a good move. But it's also something, you know, I just want to stay. We just got a thing from our HR uh, at PMC uh, suggesting ways that you can get better sleep. And it said, don't watch the news uh, for a couple of hours before you go to bed. It'll just disturb you. And I think this kind of stuff out there is so needed now that they have to find a way to keep getting it back on and keep us away from the news because it's um it's it's, it's psychologically it's it's damaging i think now well and, I, I mean when when you look at the news i mean you know we talk about concerts like this past weekend i watched damon albarn from blur and from gorillas he did a live concert online uh for his the nearer the fountain the purer the stream flows project that he's working on he did a, it looks like it's done in a barn in his house Beautiful, very touching, very intimate. It was like being at a club. But I watch things like 60 Minutes, or I watch other things where people do interviews with, with, with Trump or with Mike Pence or like Fox doing this thing, this stupidly absurd, arrogant thing at the Lincoln Memorial. And you can't really pay attention to these. You sit and watch this. There's these people like six feet, 12 feet apart. Everything's this wide angle. 
it feels more like they should have megaphones and they're yelling at each other. The, the only time I see anything that's done on television, this social distancing in real time, that doesn't look absurd, and it's only for a second, like a spill, is if you see like a bunch of people sitting around a very large conference table. It feels like, oh, this is just more like an executive meeting or something like that. It's more, it's more a status thing than a social distancing thing. There is an evolution that has occurred here. And people, people have been remarkable in their ability to, to reform and, to, and to, to find different ways of telling stories over this. But some of it isn't working. And we need to also acknowledge that some of it just looks cheesy, cheap, and stupid. Yeah, and, and that they're in the same studio, but they're separated, or, or they're right next door, but they're separated. I noticed that on uh, the local uh, Channel 5 News, KTLA, Sam Rubin was in his house, nice little set he put there with a fireplace, and, and then with the uh, monitor, and uh, he had a better rapport with the anchors who were in the studio then. Now they've moved him back in the studio, but off into a corner, and it seems forced, whereas before it had a nice kind of flow to it. Um, I, I think they're they're uh, overthinking a lot of this and it's all done you know to make an example i know you know so now you can't be you know less than six feet apart anywhere in the news but it is getting a little bit tiresome uh in in many cases uh it's all you know what i gotta say dominic it's all very dystopian which brings ah oh my god <laughs> and transition of the year award goes to mr <laughs> pete hammond um yes because in all of this as we feel like we're watching a, a a future that none of us ever wanted to see and we sort of seeing the cracks in all the formats you had a discussion with one of the most talented actors of our time who actually has on many different levels, Mad Men and many different things, taken us to new heights, Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss, she's terrific, and she did uh, the actor's side with me. And uh, and I'm so happy that she's not only bringing Handmaid's Tale uh, back, she got stopped in this whole uh, pandemic uh, uh, during her directing debut. She got two days into it, and they had to shut down. They're still waiting to go back. Uh, also, her feature film got stopped 10 days after theaters and had to go VOD, The Invisible Man. So I had a discussion with her about all of this. Uh, take a listen. Handmaid's Tale. Let's 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 start with that because that has been such an, a phenomenon, and the way it goes, and people are sort of hanging on to what direction does this show keep going into? And now at the uh, third season, you've done I, it gets a little confusing because it kind of got uh, delayed in the Emmys of it all last year. Um, yeah. And uh, but now it's back with a, a vengeance and uh, a little bit a little bit more optimistic, I think, than season two. Uh. <laughs> I agree, actually. I mean, I think that's it's tricky to say with our show because it can be so dark. But I, I do think that there were elements of season three that um, leaned a little bit more towards hope and a and a happy ending. Yeah. What do you think about this? Uh, you know, when you get into a television series and you know it well, you know, and you're in it for a number of years, it has to be a character that really interests you and keeps you going to be able to keep doing that and, and make it, making it to the next level. What did you what did you know about June when you signed on to this? Yeah. I mean, the thing about Handmaid's Tale, the stakes are so incredibly high, you know, just because of the world that we uh, exist in in that show. So in a way, it's our greatest gift and our greatest challenge because the gift of it is that 
the stakes are high. You're always going to have something interesting to play. You're always going to be dealing with big issues and big problems. Um, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of places that you can go dramatically with the character. She's dealing with so much that is so serious and overwhelming. And then the challenge is keeping that going. The challenge is when the stakes are, you know, when you start out here and then you go here, it's you gotta, you gotta go here and it's just, every season is even more challenging than the last, I think in a way. But um, with June, I don't, there's so much that happens to her in every single episode. She goes through so much that I never feel concerned about Am I going to have somewhere to go? Am I going to have something to play? There's, there's just, there's, you could have a whole season sometimes I feel like that is, is, is just two of our storylines and, and, you know, we jam it into 13 episodes. So I never am concerned about having more to do or where she's going to go. Yeah. You know, in terms of the, the series, the uh, fourth season, what's going to happen with the fourth season now? Where are we at? in that situation <laughs> well <laughs> we were two weeks into shooting um wow. when we shut down um so we didn't get a lot in the can um and i was actually also in the middle of um directing so um we were block shooting the first three episodes and i'm directing episode three and dana reed is doing the first two so um i had had a couple days of directing under my belt and now, I mean, we're in the same boat that a lot of people in the industry are in. Our writers are still writing and they're continuing writing to write the season, obviously remotely from their own homes separately. And um, that train is still chugging along. Uh, there's no reason to sort of stop it at this point. So we're going to continue writing season four and probably get ahead. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, when, when we're all, when it's safe to go back, we'll go back, but we have no idea just in the same sense of the rest of the world. Is that your first directing? Yeah. Wow. I know. And you're the first person, you're the first person I've talked to about it. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. I've, I've and how many directors have had this happen to them on their first gig? I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's definitely a story for the ages. It's kind of one of those, you know, you prep and you spend so much time thinking about it and you're ready to go and you're excited and you feel like, okay, I'm ready. And then when this happens, you sort of have this, I mean, funny thing where you're like, well, I, I guess I have more time to think about it. So that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have some more prep time. Uh, wow. So that's, okay. I guess that's silver lining, but uh, it's definitely yeah. an odd, it's an odd experience for sure. My gosh, you're sort of like Stanley Kubrick already spending years on <laughs> <laughs> putting together your first. I know, me and, my, me and my DP are definitely like redesigning, you know, <laughs> shots and re-storyboarding things. And we're going to come, it's going to be completely different by the time we come back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Now, make sure, as well as listening to us, that you subscribe to us. Tell your friends. Go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode of the show. And, of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. As well as all of our coronavirus and all of our entertainment-breaking news coverage as well. So, thank you for joining us. Talk to you next week.